This Women's Agenda podcast series, The Leadership Lessons, is supported by Salesforce. The economic fallout of the pandemic is deep and widespread, but for women, the outlook is even more severe. There's been much discussion about an imminent she session. I'm Kate Mills, the host of Women's Agenda's new podcast series, The Leadership Lessons, supported by Salesforce. In this episode, I'm joined by Joe Masters, Chief Economist at EY, who shares some thoughts and statistics on the crisis and some solutions for coming out the other end. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Joe. So, Joanne, fantastic that you could be with us here today. Um, now, I had a quick look at your CV, of course, and it's almost as though you've always been an economist. So I wanted to ask, did you always want to be an economist? And tell me a little bit about your early career. In some ways, I fell into it. I'd grown up in Hong Kong. I'm, I'm an expat kid. So I'd always been around finance. I'd been around financial markets. And the truth of the matter is, I was always very, very good at economics. So I rolled on and, and, and did that at university. And that you know, inspired that sort of love, I guess, of financial markets and the interplay with economics that led me to start uh, at Macquarie Bank. Um, I haven't actually always been an economist. I did start as an economist at Macquarie Bank, but I actually spent the bulk of my 15 years there doing currency strategy and trading. Uh, so that currency strategy has an economic bent, but obviously um, slightly different and more pointed focus to it. And I spent a bit of time doing FX sales, uh, which was really interesting and outside my comfort zone. And I learned a lot through that period before circling back into economic research. And what did you learn in particular when you were outside your comfort zone in that period? Yeah, great question. Uh, I learned lots of things. Um, so I guess uh, the, the key lessons for me were that it's okay to feel scared and daunted. I started that role and I had no idea really what it was about, how I was going to do it. I learned on the job. I was lucky enough to be surrounded by supportive people. Um, I often say to people, I remember the biggest uh, mistake I made was during that period, uh, mainly because you can measure it in terms of dollars and cents on a trade gone wrong. Oh, it was, it was a trade gone wrong. Was that your biggest mistake? <laughs> that was my biggest mistake. It was a, a trade gone wrong. And actually, it, it came about because, um, you know, I'm old enough that uh, I predate electronic FX trading. And basically, in all the noise at a moment when the currency was moving really, really rapidly, my voice wasn't heard and the, and the order wasn't filled. Um, and so when we fixed it up for the client, it cost us a lot of money. So I learned a few things. Um, I learned to acknowledge the mistake you made. I learned to become really loud. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, that- <laughs> you would learn to speak up after that. Anyone that works with me will tell you I talk really loud. Um, so I, I learned that and not to be afraid of that. Um, I learned to double check, cross my T's, dot my I's. But maybe the most important lesson out of that was um, I learned what it was like to hold um, the hand of a client relationship through a really, really difficult period. And that's something that you sometimes don't learn as an economist because in a way you're one step removed. You know, you're giving information. Um, but the humility and the tenacity and the resilience that it took to get that client relationship back to a trusted advisor is something that's really stayed with me. I've spoken with other, in particular, women who worked at Macquarie Group during that period, and, and they've all had really positive things to say about it, both in terms of how Macquarie just promoted smart people, um, real focus on learning, you know, had a lot of fun. Was, was that your experience there too? 
Absolutely. Um, I mean, I worked in a team that was all male uh, for a very, very long time. And look, I was fortunate enough to work with males who it's probably less formally than you would do today, but that absolutely um, championed me and sponsored me and taught me and mentored me. And I'm very, very grateful for that. I think it was an environment that did reward um, performance, uh, which I think is really, really exciting. And look, on a more human note, uh, I was working at Macquarie Bank when my younger daughter became critically ill overnight. And I literally left the office one afternoon and I didn't come back for, I can't remember now, four or six months. And the support of Macquarie Bank through that period was just exemplary. No questions asked, whatever you need. And again, that's something I'm very grateful for. Economics is, you know, it is a social science, but I generally think people tend to associate it with maths, to be honest with you. And maybe I'm wrong, but that's the way I think of it in my head. Do you think that has an impact, you know, in terms of what we see happening in STEM? Do you think sort of female women sort of students see it differently? I think there's absolutely a maths component to it. And I think the maths component actually has increased and become more important than when I was coming through. Um, the sort of data analytics, the modelling that we do now is you know, much, much more advanced. So having that maths component is actually really important. And that may explain some of it. Um, I mean, I always worry about the STEM debate in the sense that you know, not everyone can do STEM. So um, I think we do need to encourage people into a whole range of fields and a whole range of diverse ways of thinking. Uh, but I think the gender lens in economics is partly to do with that. Now, we talked earlier, you mentioned the biggest lesson that you'd had at Macquarie, and that was a great lesson, and thank you very much for sharing it with us. In terms of how you got to where you are today, what are the leadership lessons that you've learned along the way that you can share with us? That's a tough question. Uh, I feel like I'm still learning and still reflecting and still making my way. Some of the things that um, that I have done, though, really consciously uh, have been around uh, you know, I have a mentor that I work with around um, my personal purpose, and that has been a really difficult journey, but has now really helped me frame and shape what I do and what I want to do next and how I challenge myself. So I think um, thinking about a purpose and a personal purpose and what drives your energy is really important. And, and, and what's yours? For me, it's about ec making economics relatable and relevant to as many people as I can. And that's everything from, you know, I do work with school kids um, through to my decision to join EY that has a platform uh, right across corporate Australia. Um, and so, you know, it's got an individual lens and a corporate lens. But I genuinely believe that economics is relevant for everyone. Uh, you know, any business, for any business, if you're thinking about what could go right in your business plan, or more importantly, what could go wrong, it probably starts at the macroeconomic level. And having your finger on the pulse there is critically important. Um, so that's what I drive to do is, is to make people not scared of economics, to understand it and to understand how it impacts them. And what about the work you do with, you said today you do some work with school children as well around economics. What's that work? Sure. So um, I've done um, a couple of webinars where we've talked to year 10, 11 and 12 students. Uh, in fact, I sit on the exec committee for the Australian Business Economist and we're just doing uh, organising the one for 2020, which is in October. Um, so that's really uh, around trying to get into the schools and, and give a sense outside of the curriculum, how does this actually apply? Why does this matter? 
Uh, I did one last year where we wanted to make it really engaging. And I used some of our young economists to try and find a topic that was a little bit uh, relevant to the curriculum, but perhaps something they hadn't thought about. And and we did a piece, um, a a lecture on the economics of commercialising outer space, as in literally the moon and planets and the like, and Australia's role in that. Uh, so, you know, I, I think trying to make economics real for young Australians is one way that we might be able to increase enrolment and engagement in the field. Um, you know, there has been a huge increase in female leadership, uh, but in terms of distribution, it still lags male leadership. Is Thinking forward to the next 10 years, what would you most like to see? What do you think most has to change in order to move the dial? Oh, that's like the multi-million dollar question. Um, so I think it's important to acknowledge that we are shifting the dial. And I think it's, so a couple of things as a result of that, I I think it's really important that we don't lose momentum on it. Um, You know, I worry that there'll be this sense of, oh, we've moved the dial and we're getting close to to where we need to be, however you define that, uh, and we lose momentum because there is just so much more work to do. Um, I don't believe that you can't be what, you don't see, but I think it's much easier to be what you can see. So I think we do need to continue to role model lots of women from, that, you know, lots of different industries, lots of different pathways to, to where they've got. And I think it's really important that um, that women uh, leaders show their vulnerability and their authenticity. Um you know, I think it's okay to acknowledge that it's been tough, um, that you've had to have ask the hard questions. Um, I mean, I often make the comment that uh, there's things that, that, you know, I would like to happen in my home that don't happen. You know, my children don't make their own beds, for example. Um, so, you know, it's a tough road, but I think the more that we talk about it and more that we share experience and the more that we say that it's okay for it to be hard or for you not to be perfect in every element of your life, uh, that is really important. Are there differences, do you think, between male and female leadership? Absolutely. I mean, that's sort of not not for everyone. I mean, there's always the atypical leader. But, yeah, I, I think that's absolutely true. And I think that, you know, um, some of that empathy that women bring typically to leadership is actually more and more important. And I think it's been incredibly important in the COVID environment where mental well-being of our staff, um, the fact that we are seeing the authentic person through Zoom, you know, everyone's got a dog barking or a child walking behind them or doorbell ringing or whatever it might be. Um, that, that That is a great opportunity for leaders to show, you know, authenticity, show the real them and to show that empathetic side. And I think women are good at doing that. Looking ahead, you know, because essentially we're at the beginning of a new decade, what are the things that most concern you about the next decade? Actually, quite a lot of things. <laughs> um, uh, probably the biggest one that I worry about is equality and that we ensure that we continue to provide economic opportunity for young Australians and for new Australians. Um, And by that, I mean, we have clearly seen one of the unintended consequences of the policies that we put in place to tackle the global financial crisis has been that those people that own assets have typically done quite well. And those people that don't have assets have been increasingly uh, difficult to get into the market. So you think about housing, for example, um, I have two teenage daughters. You know, I worry about their ability to live in Sydney and buy a home. I worry about their ability to live in Sydney, buy a home and have some flexibility when they have young children, if they choose to have children. 
Um, so I, I do worry about that growing divide and the tailwind of the family that you're born to. And then associated with that, I guess, is just how important it is as a nation that we continue to offer economic opportunity. You know, we're a country that's been built on that, right? Migrant nation built on the opportunity to better your circumstances or those of your children or your grandchildren. Um, as we come out of this COVID environment, we need to continue to offer that, as I said, for young Australians and for new Australians. And, and can you think of particular policies that, that you'd like to see in order for that to happen? I guess the economist in me says that um, we need productivity enhancing reform. And economists talk about this all the time. Um, the way I describe it is that's changing things that reduce friction in the economy. It means that we can have faster economic growth without running into capacity constraints, whether that's you know the amount of factory output we've got or whether that's inflation. And the reason that that's important is that is what will deliver jobs. And it's jobs that create economic opportunity. So what gives you the most hope when you look at the next decade? Actually, lots of things. The first one's probably more a personal one. In, and that is, I think young people are just really fabulous. Um, now, they're very different from those sort of that have gone before them. But I love that um, we find our young people are, you know, they are very open. They are very inclusive um, and they are deeply passionate about a range of issues that, that they care about. Um, and I think that's really exciting. I mean, climate's an obvious one. I'm really excited about innovation and digital and technology. And I, I know that's not without its challenges, but I think there's some pretty exciting things coming ahead. And on a more economic note, um, I actually believe that the deep, some of the deep fundamentals that have served Australia well will continue to serve us well as we come out of this COVID crisis. So just to call out a few of those, um, we actually have really strong balance sheets across the country, whether that's government, the central bank, our banking system, corporates. Uh, we also remain a very favourable destination for skilled migrants, and that has long been part of Australia's uh, economic history and success. Um, the rise of the middle class in Asia will continue, and we are very well-placed um, to be sort of part of that, to, to go along for the ride. And also there are lots of things that we are really good at doing. And it's not just resources, but things like food tech, ag tech, med tech, um, waste, renewables. So, I'm, I'm, you know, I think the next few years are going to be really challenging. But when I look sort of 10 years out, I'm pretty excited about what Australia in 2030 might look like. So I'm talking to you and you're an expert. In fact, I was looking, I have sort of a little bit of read about you and say you call yourself a pundit. What's the role for expertise now and in the future? And I'm saying this against the backdrop of a world where truth and expertise have been discounted by some leaders, but also been discounted by many sort of, you know, large, you know, reasonably large swathes of the population. Is expertise coming back, do you think? I hope so, because I think we're going to need a lot of expertise to dig ourselves out of the COVID recession and pay back what's going to be a trillion dollars worth of government debt. And that doesn't include state debt. So from an economic perspective, you know, when I'm talking to young, young Australians, I often say we're going to need a lot of talented economists over the next 10 or 20 years to, to tackle the issues that we've, that we face um, today. I think the role of experts has changed though. Um, I think it's less talking about uh, what we should do and more facilitating more open discussions. Um, I, 
to me, in economics, there's rarely a right or a wrong. There's a, there's a whole range of grey of things that could be good, and they all have intended consequences and unintended consequences. So for me, the role of the expert is to ask the hard question, to try to broaden the conversation, to try to make sure that we're thinking about what those unintended consequences can be um, so that we can build a better nation. Um, I mentioned there that, you know, we're working in a background where truth and expertise have been discounted by some leaders. So that leads me on to my next questions. Um, we're talking here about leadership. What are your hopes and dreams for political leadership? And I ask that question because history tells us that we're at a moment where there will be profound political implications from the current environment. What do you think there will be? And are you hopeful? Yeah, I think we're a really interesting position, not just in Australia, but around the world um, in terms of political leadership and and we, we've been seeing that shift actually for a few years now. I mean, we've seen in Australia, you know, record turnout for minority parties. Um, we've seen in a range of countries uh, unexpected election outcomes. We've obviously got, you know, Brexit, yellow vests in France um, prior to the COVID recession. So a sense of discontent. And I think a lot of that does come back to, as I said before, some of the unintended consequences of the policies that we used in the global financial crisis. So things like quantitative easing that have just pushed a lot of cheap cash into the world um, has um, raised inequality and we haven't done much um, to try to address that. And there's plenty of people that feel like they've missed out on the spoils of economic growth. Um, so I, I think we're in a really interesting position. Uh, now that's been rocketed a little bit by COVID. And I guess one of the call outs, I think, you know, one of the silver linings in COVID, and I don't want to diminish the impact that it is having on businesses and Australians of all walks of life. Um, but how proud was everyone early on uh, when we saw what happens to your point, not like across our communities, but across our government, across our business sector, when we all pull in the same direction? Um, so we had neighbours checking in on people that were self-isolating. We had supermarkets opening up for the elderly and the less mobile. Um, we had regulation eased overnight to allow deliveries to supermarkets, to let restaurants home deliver cocktails. Uh, we saw state and federal governments working together, pulling together. We saw trade unions and business groups sitting down together trying to work out overnight what do we need to do around industrial relations to, to keep people in work and to keep businesses turning over. We've lost a little bit, bit of that and I really, really hope that we can find our way back there because um, I, I think there is a level of discontent amongst people and I think we now have a very challenging economic environment over that and we really need to pull in the same direction if we're going to have an Australia in 2030 that we're proud of. So it is a period where there's going to be a lot of change, and that's, I think, going to probably see different types of economic theories and writers come forth. Um, what do you think about where we are in economic writing and economic thought, if you like? And again, I, I, I was thinking earlier as I was thinking about this interview, I was thinking about Thomas Piketty, you know, and his assertion that capital will always, growth in capital will always outpace income. And I mean, that's quite interesting in terms of what you were saying with regards to policies that came out of the GFC. Um, I think of Kate Raworth and donut economics, um, you know, you know, so where is economics heading in the current discussion? And what are you excited about when you, where you see where the discussion about economics is going? I think we're in a position that's really, really scary, but equally really exciting. Um, and that is in the middle of the biggest economic crisis we've seen, uh, you know, well, certainly since sort of World War II, if you look at GDP, but, you know, 
um, in terms of a health pandemic for 100 years. Um, at the same time, lots of parts of economic theory are being questioned. Um, now, donut economics, you know, obviously that um, theory around we need to think about what economists call externality. So we need to think about issues around equity and around the environment and the climate as well as just economic activity. Um, but even down to we're questioning inflation targeting, uh, which is something that central banks and advanced economies have been doing for several decades now and has served us really well, but suddenly doesn't seem to be serving us as well as we thought. Uh, conversations around universal basic income, which is really being driven out of this uh, political discontent that we're seeing. Um, conversations um, around uh uh, you know, how do we dig ourselves out from COVID? So there's lots of lots of traditional theories that are being challenged, and that's a bit confronting, and it means often we're operating without a framework. And, you know, one thing I think we need to remember is all of our policymakers at the moment are operating without a framework, without precedent. Uh, so that's that's really scary. But on the other hand, it's really exciting. And I think there's lots of exciting opportunities for young um, up-and-coming economists to really make a difference and to change the way that we think about this. Um, actually, you know, there's a lot of conversation around um, GDP. So that's how we measure the economic activity. And it, it doesn't actually take account of um, unpaid caring work at home, for example. It doesn't take account of equity. It doesn't take account of the environment. So it's got lots of things it doesn't do. Um I'm a little bit worried that we, we're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater because GDP is not perfect, but we also do know that measuring economic activity is important. And there is still a correlation actually between happiness and standard of living and economic activity. So it's about this balancing act. How can we do it better? How do we keep what is still working from our old framework, but how do we augment it, change it, make it better um, so it can deliver the society that everyone wants to live in. Because at the end of the day, people don't care about GDP. GDP doesn't change people's lives. So it is actually about creating the society, the community that we want. And I do think we need to broaden the way that we think about things to include that either directly or at least in the conversations that we're having. And that comes back to that. The role of the expert is to start asking those questions, even if we don't have the answers. So what about leadership? Do you see different kinds of leadership evolving to meet these challenges? So leadership is changing, uh, undeniably. Um, you know, if we think about companies' social responsibility, li social license to, to operate, for example. Um, you know, so so the world is changing, not just economics, but the, the world that businesses operate in, the community expectations, the impact of not meeting those community expectations community expectations themselves are shifting. So there's a lot of moving parts, uh, which means that leadership has to change. And I'm encouraged because it is changing. And we've seen some great examples in COVID of, you know, really, really good leadership here in Australia. Um, so we've been given a platform to learn a lot and to speed up that process of change. Um, look, at its heart, uh, for me, it's it's still about diversity. Um, we just you just need diversity of thought on your leadership team. Um, that is how you generate new ideas. That's how you generate good decisions. That's how we at least ask those questions that may lead to some recognition of unintended consequences. Uh, that's how you ensure that you're capturing as much community expectation as you can. Um, so diversity in your leadership is still going to be incredibly important, and we do still have a way to go on that. 
Thank you for joining me for the leadership lessons, the female perspective you need for the decade ahead. This episode was produced by Lisa Gebelagin. If you like what you heard today, please make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast player and leave us a rating. To find out more from us, visit womensagenda.com.au and I'm looking forward to catching up with you at the next episode. Women's Agenda is proud to partner with Salesforce on this podcast series. As the world's leading CRM, Salesforce continues to be a different kind of Fortune 500 company, one that cares and gives back to the community, yet innovates like a startup. Equality is a core value at Salesforce and as a business, believes that its higher purpose is to drive equality for all. For more, visit salesforce.com.